Good morning. My name is Andrew Forrest. If you're just joining us, I'm glad to see you here at Munger Place today. I went to a funeral on Friday morning, and as is always the case, if you attend a funeral or a wedding, you can't but help through some part of it thinking of your own wedding or your own funeral. And this is what I was thinking about as I heard uh, the dead man eulogized. I thought, what, what will my funeral be like, or what's my legacy going to be? I wonder what yours is going to be. I don't know how many more days I have on this earth or know how many more days you have. God knows. But it's someday, soon or in a little while, our lives will cease. And what will our legacy be? What will be the uh, fruit of our lives, to use a biblical word? I want to talk about that a little bit today. See, according to Jesus, there's only two things that can characterize a human life, ultimately, in the parable we're going to look at today. It is not about the religious and the irreligious or the faithful or the unfaithful or the haves and the have-nots or the mighty or the low, pick whatever distinction you want. It's not about any of those things. According to Jesus, the one thing that will determine uh, the difference between life is whether a life is receptive to the gospel and bears fruit or not. The only difference between people, says Jesus, at the end of life, when, when, when you're lying there in the coffin, are, are these things. Was this a life receptive to the gospel that bore fruit or not? What will my legacy be, I wonder? Which is my life? Which is yours? Today is the fourth and final sermon of a series we're calling Revealed. There's this great passage in Matthew 13. Jesus says to his disciples, the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom have been given to you. And he tells a series of parables. And, and I've thought, this is a great chapter for us to look at because I believe Jesus has unique insight into the nature of reality in the world. And if Jesus says, I'm, t- I'm sharing with you some mysteries or secrets about the kingdom of God, I think it's something for us to listen to. And we looked at a series of parables. And today we're looking at one of the most famous of all the parables Jesus tells. And maybe you're not a Christian or haven't been in church in a long time and you don't know a whole lot about the scriptures. You've probably still seen this depicted in art in different places or maybe even heard this parable. It's a very famous one. And I encourage you to look at it today as I read through it and start to listen and and wonder which is your legacy going to be? What fruit are you going to bear? Here we are, Matthew chapter 13. Let me give you a little bit of background. Jesus up to this point has been preaching uh, through Galilee and in some places he, he, he finds tremendous opposition. It seems like no one is listening to his message. People are out to, in fact, out to kill him, literally. And they're, they're, they're refusing to hear the message of the gospel. In other places, the message is received and bears fruit. And so it seems strange. Why in some places is Jesus' message fruitful in other places is it barren? And this parable is about that. Here we are, Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Can you see the image? Jesus rocking on a boat, looking up at sort of a natural amphitheater that's formed by the shore of the lake. And he told them many things in parables, including, a farmer went out to sow his seed. This would have been a familiar image to people who were living in that time. In fact, some scholars say it may have been as Jesus was talking, the people there listening could see a farmer out working in his field just uh, a little while away. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. 
And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus says this great phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear. And then as he did with the parable we talked about last week, Jesus gives us a little bit of an interpretation, skipping ahead of you verses. Verse 18, listen then, he tells his disciples, to what the parable of the sower means. When people hear the message of the kingdom and do not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. And this is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil, it refers to people who hear the word and understand it, and they produce a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. May God add his richest blessing on the reading and hearing of this word today. Let's pray. Lord, today take my words as we've already prayed and speak through them. Take our thoughts today, Lord, and think through them. And take our hearts, Lord, and turn them into fertile soil for the planting of your word. Amen. So according to Jesus, there's two sorts of people in the world. There are people who hear the word, receive it, and bear a crop for the kingdom, and people who don't. That's it. And what I want to do today is work through these different examples of the type of soil that Jesus talks about and give us maybe some tools to think about which ones we might be. Because I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, I want to have been living a fruitful life. I want to be fruitful for the kingdom. I mean, after all, when you die, you're all exactly the same, rich or poor, famous, ignorant. It doesn't matter who you are. You're all the same, except whether you've borne fruit for the kingdom or not. And according to Jesus here, this is all about receiving the word. It's about being receptive. And he tells these different word pictures to give us an example of what it means to be unreceptive to the gospel or receptive to it. Here's the first. Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow. You can imagine a guy just throwing seed as he walks. And some of the seed fell on the path. Now what scholars say is, is in those days, the, the fields in Palestine were long, narrow strips. And in between the patches of uh, tilled ground were these hard paths like uh, dust, chalk, clay that had been packed really tight by centuries of people walking up and down it. So you can imagine in the image, somebody's throwing seed and some of it falls on the hard ground. This ground is unreceptive because it doesn't allow the seed to pierce it. It doesn't, uh, it, the seed bounces it off and is picked up by the birds and, and eaten up. I wonder this morning if you're someone who, whose heart is, is hard, whose mind is hard the way the soil between the fields were hard, the soil of the path. I've been thinking about what it means to be hard. Here's one example. I think some of us sometimes are hard in our minds. We're intellectually stiff. Now, I say this a lot. I really believe in asking good questions about the faith. I don't at all think that we should shut off our minds when we become Christians or when we're exploring the faith. But I do believe sometimes we're captured by ideas that make our minds hard to the truth of the gospel. And they're false ideas. Can I just push you a little bit today to maybe you need to examine some of your assumptions, particularly if you're here today and you're not a Christian or, or you're sort of exploring the faith? 
truth is, is that you've accepted certain things as truth, undeniably truth, and then when the gospel comes and hits your mind, it bounces off because you said, well, that can't possibly be true. Can I give you an example of where perhaps this way of thinking could break down? One of our modern uh, popular ideas is the idea that, that we each see truth for ourselves and the truth is valid f- from wherever we stand. And I've shared this with some of you before and it's not original with me. I first heard this example from Tim Keller who himself borrowed it from Leslie Newmigan. But it's this. In the Eastern world in India, there's a, there's a fable that it goes like this. There's a bunch of blind men standing around an elephant. Have you heard this? And each blind man has a different part of the element, elephant. And, and one guy has the trunk. And one guy has the foot. And one guy has the tail. Or one guy is touching the side. And as the parable goes, see, truth is like an elephant. Because the blind man holding the trunk says, well, I know what an elephant is like. It's long and sinuous like the trunk. Or I know what an elephant is like, and he's holding the foot. Or I know what the elephant is like. It's like this. You get the point. And the moral of the story is, see, that's the way truth is. We see it from different points of view, but we're only limited in what we can see. And so, therefore, we ought to be more broad-minded because who are we to claim exclusive truth claims, like the claims of the gospel? Who are we to set ourselves up like that? While a degree of humility, I think, is helpful, this story is very false, and here's why. The story only makes sense if you can understand yourself as seeing the whole elephant. Do you follow me? In the story, the narrator has the perspective of seeing the whole elephant, so of course the narrator is able to see and say, of course all those guys are only grasping at little parts of the truth, but I, the narrator, can see in fact the whole truth. So while the story seems to be saying, you know, who are we to make truth claims, the story itself is setting up a tremendous truth claim. Are you following me here? The narrator is saying, I, in fact, can see the whole picture. And so, therefore, how dare you tell me what truth is because I can see the whole picture. A lot of the ideas that occur in our society are like that. They sound good, but, in fact, they are incredibly exclusive and arrogant, like that story about seeing the whole elephant. Those of you this morning who have intellectual problems with the faith, I'm not telling you to put them aside, but I am encouraging you to be open-minded to start exposing yourselves to different truth. The church has been around for 2,000 years. It has contained the most brilliant minds in the world, people who have already thought through the things that you're struggling with. Just because you read one book that was on some bestseller list doesn't mean that you understand the full picture. Perhaps you need to open your mind and let it not be so hard to the truth of the gospel. But some of us don't just have hard minds, and some of us, the intellectual problems aren't the problem. It's in our heart. What does it mean to have a hard heart to the seeds of the kingdom? Here's one thing. I think one of the ways we have hard hearts is when we assume that God isn't good, when we make assumptions about the goodness of God. At this funeral I was at on Friday, the father of the dead man got up and eulogized his son, and he said, we give God thanks for each year we had with this person. Is that his funeral? And as you and I know, children are not supposed to die before their parents. It seems somehow contrary to what the way the world should work. But here was this father standing up at his son's funeral saying, we give God thanks for every day we had with this boy. See, what the father was doing who was a committed Christian, he was, he was choosing to believe that God is good and accept things with a grateful heart and a spirit of thankfulness. 
I'm becoming increasingly convinced that one of the problems that so many of us have in the world is that we see the world in a negative light. And, and, and we assume that whatever happens is bad or God isn't ultimately be trusted and good. Now, right now in the midst of life, I can't prove to you that God is always good and to be trusted. I can encourage you to believe that. I can talk about the power of the gospel and the fact that even through the crucifixion, God raised up Jesus through the resurrection. I can tell you that I don't know a single Christian who's been walking with the Lord for a long time who hasn't come to the belief that God is good. I can tell you that for 2,000 years, men and women in all different sorts of lives, walks of life and all sorts of education have come to believe that God is good. I can tell you that, but I can't prove it to you that God is good. You're gonna have to accept on faith that God is good and then whatever comes, you'll have to say, this is a bad thing, I don't like it, but I know God can use it for good. Even when there's a death of a child, you'll say, this is a terrible thing and I hate this, but I'm gonna give God thanks for even the fact that this person was in my life. Is your heart hard today? Is your heart like the stony ground flattened by years and years of walking up and down? Maybe today you need to just start to pivot and think, I'm gonna start seeing the good in the world and the goodness of God. One more way I was thinking about how our hearts can be hard. I said this last week, and I really believe this. <clears throat> the church is not for the perfect. The church is, in fact, for the sinners. A, a great uh, church father thousands of years ago said that the church is like a hospital for sinners, which is a great phrase. Sick people come to the hospital. The healthy don't need to go to a hospital. But one of the ways I think that it's hard for God to work in your life, and one of the ways that you're heart can be as hard as this podium, is when you refuse to acknowledge that you, in fact, are a sinner. In the Gospels, Jesus makes the greatest inroads with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the people who are just brought low by their sin. I think that's the reason why often addicts make such fabulous Christians, because they realize that but for the grace of God, they are nothing. What's hard are for people who have more of a heart like the Pharisees in the Scriptures, who believe that they have it all together and they would never confess sin openly. I just wonder today if your heart is more like one of these sinners in the scriptures who's just brought low at the truth of how selfish and messed up we are, or are you somebody who thinks that, that, that you are a moral paragon and you don't need any kind of help? Or you're refusing to hear words about sin. What's true in your life today? Is your heart hard? Is your mind hard? That's one example of a way that it's hard for us to be receptive to the gospel, the stony ground. But then Jesus goes on, he says, some of the seed fell on the stony ground, but some of it fell on rocky soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came and scorched the earth, it withered up and died because it had no root. What an image. I wonder if... That might be where you are today. Are you in a place where the sun is scorching you today and you're withering up? Your faith is withering? The fruit that God wants to produce in your life is dying on the vine? See, according to Jesus, and you need to hear this, troubles will come to every human life. One of the ways we get in trouble sometimes in the church is we act like that once somebody becomes a Christian, they have no more suffering or problems. That's an absolute lie. Jesus himself was crucified. The early disciples were all martyred for the faith. Christians still get cancer, still go bankrupt. If you're a Christian and you live over here in East Dallas when it hails, your house is still going to get beaten up by the hailstones. That's just life. The sun is going to rise and scorch unless there are deep roots. Now, why do roots make a difference? The sun doesn't blow the plants away. They don't need roots to 
grab into the soil. They need roots to go down and connect them to the source of water, to the source of life. If this morning you're somebody who's the first time back in church for a long time, sometimes people leave the church and walk away because when the sun rose and it scorched them, they had no roots, and so they had no way to sustain themselves, and they left the church and walked away from God for a long time. One of the reasons we talk around here at this church so much about being in a group, what we call them kitchen groups, but a group of like-minded people for study and fellowship, is because that's one of the ways we form roots in the kingdom, to get down deep, to find the sources of water. Hear it again. It doesn't matter who you are this morning, whether you're wealthy or not, whether you're smart or not, gifted or not, important or not, young or old, Suffering will come, the sun is going to rise, and it's going to threaten to scorch you up. Do you have the sort of roots this morning that reach down deep into the water? Again, this is why when we talk about baptism, it is not possible to be a Christian on your own. These little boys who are baptized this morning, if they're going to bear a fruit for the kingdom in their lives, they're going to have to be connected with the body of Christ and have deep roots down into the sources of water. One of the ways we have roots is to meet with like-minded people in the church, gathered around the scriptures, praying for each other, or to use an old-fashioned term, watching over one another with love. That's one of the ways we form roots. Another way is to be formed in the deep history of the church. Sometimes in America, we seem to think that we're the ones who have invented the faith, and that all it takes to become a Christian is just to say one prayer, and then that's it, and God has no more work to do in your life. I'm not knocking that sort of ministry. It's important sometimes to, be, to hear a word at a camp or at a meeting, hear an invitation and respond to it. But it is not enough just to be born again. You have to grow up in the faith, so to speak. And for 2,000 years, we had this great resource of the church that teaches us what it looks like to have deep roots and to grow up in the tradition. And one of the problems we have in American Christianity, I think, is that we're trying to be, we're trying to be all new, as if, as if what happened 800 years ago and 1,000 years ago doesn't matter. Listen, at this church, we do all kinds of new stuff. We have videos on the screen. We have bass guitars. We do all that kind of stuff. We use the internet. But I gotta tell you, if we move away from historic Christianity, from the faith that has been delivered us, from the great men and women of the church, from the faith of the creeds, if we start thinking that we're gonna invent a new church, a new gospel, we're gonna wither up when the sun rises. In fact, one of the reasons I think that becoming a disciple of Christ is so important, and you don't become a disciple overnight, one of the reasons I want us to have an excellent children's ministry and a ministry to middle school and high school kids is because I want us to form disciples over time. And when the sun rises and it threatens to scorch us, we'll have built the roots deep down that can sustain us. So some of us aren't receptive to the gospel and don't bear fruit because we're hard. And some of us hear the message and we want to respond, but we have no roots. And when the troubles come, our faith withers and dries up. Which are you today? There's another one. Jesus says, some of the seed fell on the path. Some of the seed fell among rocky soil, and some of it fell among thorns and weeds. And as it began to grow, so did the weeds and the thorns, and they choked the life out of it, and it died. And Jesus, in fact, names, he, I love this, he tells us what those thorns are. He says this, this is verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. What's choking the word out of you today? What is making it unfruitful? How are the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth 
acting like thorns which are just choking the life of the fruit God wants to bring forth through you. This week, in fact, I was running over to meet the Jody family, and I'm somebody who struggles with punctuality. So I was all proud of myself on Wednesday evening. I left my house in plenty of time. I was going to be at their house like 10 minutes early to talk about the baptism. So I got, and I was only about a half mile from my house. I live right here in the neighborhood, and I just got hammered with the hail. And I was so ticked that I left early to be on time. Because if I had left like 10 minutes later, I would have seen the hail and stayed in my garage, and everything would have been fine. Instead, now my car is totaled. And I was, I'm a big-time complainer and whiner. And I was just complaining and whining. And I came over to the church and was looking at damage later that evening. And very quickly, I came across two church members who, because of the hail, had a much more serious problem than I had. And I just thought, isn't that just how it is? These petty worries, these selfish thoughts about ourselves make us blind to everything else in the world, and they can choke the life out of us. Here I am complaining about my problem. I don't have any problems. So what? My windshield was broken, my car is dented, big deal. But in the moment, I was blinded by it. I'm wondering what's blinding you today. How are the worries of this world, or the worries of wealth, choking the life out of the fruit God wants to bring through you? It's, it's hard. It is hard to worry about money. I know some of us today are in financial difficulty. That's very difficult. But the truth is, at the end of your life, that's not going to matter anyway. And those of you who are just pursuing riches with all that you have, one day you're going to be laid out in the coffin too. And you have been pursuing things that ultimately don't matter. What are the thorns in your life that are threatening to choke out the power and the fruit of the gospel today? Now, three different sorts of soils we've talked about so far. The hard, trodden ground in which the gospel can't even take root the shallow soil in which the stuff grows up quickly but has no depth to it, and the place that falls among thorns, the thorny soil, and it chokes the life out of it. There's a fourth soil which I want to get to, but notice, none of those types of soil have to do with what I would call sin. Now, there's a sinful element to all of them, but they're they're not, Jesus doesn't say, the stony soil are all uh, the sexual sinners. And the uh, shallow soil is all the people who are murderers. And the, this type of soil are all the liars. He doesn't say that, which I find very interesting. And then he says this. He says, but there's a fourth type of soil. And it's the soil when the gospel hits it, when the seeds of the kingdom hit it, it bears a tremendous harvest. 30, 60, or 100 times more than was sown into it. And I've been thinking about that contrast. Okay, he, he talks about the different types of unreceptive soils, and then he talks about the receptive soil. And what's the difference? And I don't think the difference is that the receptive soil is the soil that doesn't sin. That doesn't make any sense anyway. We're all sinners. Because I don't think it's sin that God can't overcome in our lives. In fact, the story of the gospel is that God specializes in overcoming sin. If you're here today and, and you are just so discouraged and who you are as a person, you can't quit that one sin. You feel like that just walking into church today, you're, you're lucky that the lightning didn't strike and the whole place didn't fall in on you. If you're someone who feels like a total failure in your life, you've known you turn your back on family. You've known because of the choices you've made, you've made some parts of the world a broken, dark place. I have a word of hope for you today. That's not going to keep you from bearing fruit for the kingdom. 
See, you and I ultimately can't remove sin from our lives. There's nothing I can do to make up for the sins I've committed in my life. There's nothing I can do to make wrong the rights that I have contributed to. Nothing that you can do to right those wrongs. But God can. And Christ did. And we talked about the hardness of the stony soil. It was hard being tied on the cross. And we talk about the scorching sun. It was scorching that day when Christ laid on the cross. And in fact, he was thirsty and they gave him vinegar to drink. And you talk about thorns. He wore a crown of thorns on his head. And as he laid on the cross, he couldn't breathe and died, gasping for air. See, sin is not the problem. God can carry our and take care of our sin today. The only thing God needs from you, hear me, is just to be receptive. Just to be receptive and God will do the rest. The soil just receives the seed, but it is the power of God that calls it to germinate, that causes the rains to come when they need to come and the sun to come when it needs to come. As it says in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Peter did this, Apollos did this, I did this. I planted, sure, but God made it grow. God can bring forth fruit in your life too, regardless of who you all are today. You don't have to be perfect. You may not pray enough. You don't know enough about the scriptures. You've been leading a sinful life, but God can use you anyway. Just hear and receive. Jesus says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Wouldn't it be great if at the end of your life, whoever stands up to eulogize you says, this person was not a perfect person, but he or she heard the perfect message of the gospel, and just received it, and God did all the rest. See, in a way, all of us are in perfect soils. In a way, we're all like the soil on the side of a mountain or in the middle of a desert. But you and I know that even in those places, if the seeds fall in the right place, and the soil is there in the crevice of the rock, and there's water down deep, even trees can grow. Check out this image. Even a tree can grow in the middle of a desert, in the middle of the rock. You and I might be terrible soil, and no human farmer would pick to raise a crop through us, but God sees things that others doesn't, don't. And I just want to encourage you today to give your life over to the Lord, just to receive the message of the gospel, and say, God, I can't do these things, but you can work in my life. And those of us today who are like the hard, beaten down, compact soil along the path, may God break us up today. May God send new ideas to break up the intellectual stiffness of our minds. Or may God break through the hard soil of our hearts. To those of us today who have no roots, may God show us what it means to be a part of a Christian community. May we become formed in historic doctrines of the church so that we can put down roots deep into the living water that Christ gives To those of us today who are threatened to be choked out by the thorns and cares of this world, may God rip up the thorns and teach us not to worry, but just to seek first the kingdom and everything else will be taken care of. So that all of us could become like the soil on the side of the mountain or the soil God, Jesus refers to, soil that when the seed hits it, it germinates and produces abundant harvests. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may God make it so today. Amen.